Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. It is 11.15 on a Sunday night. Today was another really great service and I'm calling this one, Give This to Babyface, which is a reference that I'm not going to tell you what it is. So if you know what the reference is, I don't know, put it on our social media, text me, Facebook me, whatever. I'll be super impressed and I will owe you something special, maybe like a Coke. <laughs> anyway, today's uh, podcast is called Give This to Babyface. Before we jump into Give This to Babyface, I just want to remind you we are getting ready to launch into small groups. It is something we have been wanting to do ever since we started the church about a year ago. As you know, the lockdown and stupid freaking coronavirus happened and so small groups couldn't happen for a while uh we're gonna give it a shot now we're gonna do it in a cool way we're gonna do a lot of meetings outside there is a tampa group and a um and a st pete group of course and they both meet on wednesday night and there's also a virtual group that is going to meet on monday nights and we would love for you to join any of those three uh what i would like for you to do is go to diff.church that is diff.church. You don't have to punch in .com or anything. And you should see a button that says groups. From there, just uh, click the one that you're interested in and let us know. We'd love to you know, meet you virtually and uh, connect with you in small group. Uh, okay, we're getting ready to jump into Give This to Babyface. Uh, but of course, just want to highlight that we are still celebrating uh, Black History Month. Uh, every week we are sharing a video on our Facebook page about how to have conversations about race in church that moves the ball forward. Uh, we are doing a special song each week. We are doing a special poem each week. And Hannah is introducing everybody to someone that she thinks is really amazing. And of course, last week... Last week, we talked about Dr. Patricia Arabath, who invented a cool thing that fixes cataracts. Um, and this week, I have a picture of a guy that you should know. This is Alexander Miles. And aside from having a pretty intense beard, I guess beard wax was not a thing when he was alive in like 1800, he invented automatically closing elevator doors. Yes, so apparently this was necessary because people fell to their deaths frequently. Like, I don't know if you've seen like old movies where someone's inside the elevator operating it. This is that was because there were so many accidents where people fell down elevator shafts and either died or got seriously maimed that they installed people in elevators to close the doors and operate them. Like, I've watched those movies and been like, what? There's literally just a dude being like, we're going to floor three. <laughs> Why is this? A because people were dying. So the next time you're in an elevator and you don't fall to your death, thank a black person, Alexander Miles. <laughs> it's also Valentine's Day. I'm wearing my Valentine's Day pants. Does anybody hate Valentine's Day? All right. Anybody love it? Okay, I love it. I know some of y'all hate it. But like, it's too commercialized. Okay, every holiday is commercialized. It's not actually an excuse. A reason to celebrate love? Yes, please. We need more love in the world. But also, chocolate's pretty good. Am I right? And also, I don't know if you have been a benefit of, beneficiary of this, but um, half price candy the next day. Like, go to Walmart tomorrow morning, you can get 50% off chocolate. 
I had a tradition for years. I would go buy myself a giant bag for 50% off and also like three boxes of Fun Dip. If you don't know what Fun Dip is, it's basically like a sugar stick dipped in sugar that turns your mouth blue. And I love it. It's like pre-cotton candy. But we are not going to talk about Valentine's Day today. Uh, we're not going to talk about love or St. Valentine or anything to do with it. So if you hate it, you've come to the right place. This is a different church, and we have, we have nothing to say about Valentine's Day. We are going to go back to the Old Testament to a story that I loved as a kid, which is the story of Naaman. And the passage will be on the screen, so you can follow along, So I'm going to read it. It's very long. Okay, so stick with me. Everybody put your Bible seatbelts on. We're going to read the whole thing, okay? So this is 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1, verses 1 through 14. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though he was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He will heal him of leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel said. Go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying gifts of 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present to my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see he's trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent a message to him. Why are you so upset? Send this guy to me and he will learn there's a true prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored. You will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. Another translation said he stomped away, which I think is hilarious. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and the Abana and the Farhar redder than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Everybody take a breath. That was a lot of Bible, okay? Now you get me for, more, for longer than that. <laughs> I love this story. If you grew up in a tiny evangelical church, you may have acted out this story on like a felt board. And a felt board is exactly what it sounds like, a board covered in felt <laughs> with little felt characters you stick on it. We were really living the life <laughs> back then. This is a felt board story. We would be like, a Naaman went down to the river. Um, it has a lot of implications for adults, though, and questions for adults. So we're going to think through it. Na First of all, Naaman is actually pronounced Naaman. Um, but honestly, who cares? 
<laughs> I've been saying Naaman my entire life, and I only know that it's pronounced Naaman because this week I looked it up, and I was like, surely I cannot be wrong for 30 years about how I said this word. Oh, yes, wrong. Terribly wrong. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's not like he's alive, and then we like, you're mispronouncing my name. He lived a long, long time ago in a land far, far away. It's fine. You can call him whatever you want. The only reason I'm going to say Naaman for the rest of the sermus, the sermus. <laughs> I didn't get much sleep last night. <laughs> the only reason I'm going to say Naaman for the rest of the service is because I think it sounds like a Lord of the Rings character. Saruman, Naaman. Um, he was a general in the Aram army. Should I stand over here? Would that be better? Just pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> so Aram is actually like Syria. So if you think of that word, think Syria. Aram, Arameans, it's actually where we get the term Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke. So Naaman was a Syrian general. This is important to note because Syria and Israel, not friends. Okay, Syria was always trying to take them over, and eventually they succeed. And they haven't taken Israel over yet in this story. Naaman is like a VIP person. He's highly decorated general. He has tons of people reporting to him. Of course, he reports to the king. He has a problem, though. He has leprosy. Now, I know possibly the image in your head is like people with like their limbs decaying off. This is not what that means. <laughs> That's the modern definition of leprosy, is like a flesh-eating disease. But in biblical times, that word is any word for a skin disorder. I can promise you, if he had actual modern-day leprosy, he would not have been the general in the king's army. No one would have gotten anywhere near him. So he's got some kind of general skin disorder. Did you all hear that? That's my baby having the hiccups. <laughs> she gets the hiccups like 20 times a day, and it shakes her whole body. I don't know how she lives through it. So he has some kind of skin condition. He's tried everything to get rid of it. He's seen the finest doctors in Syria. He's seen all the magicians in Syria. He's seen the prophets in Syria. He's talked to the king. He's talked to everybody. He's used all his access, all his money, all his privilege. Still can't get rid of this thing. Sucks when all the money and influence in the world can't buy you a cure, right? So Naaman's wife has this young girl working for her. Working for her is not the right way to say this. Okay, the Arameans invaded Israel, kidnapped this girl, took her back, and enslaved her. Okay, and now she serves Naaman's wife. So she doesn't work for him or her. This is a horrible thing that happened to her. But she knows of Elisha the prophet who lives in Israel. And she's like, Elisha could heal Naaman. Tell your husband this. He doesn't have to be like miserable all the time. And he's just desperate enough to maybe listen to this. So he goes to the king, and he's like, can I please take a leave of absence from my most important general duties of commanding the army and go to our enemy country and see if I can get rid of my disease? And the king likes him so much, must be nice, that he's like, yes, absolutely. In fact, I will write you a letter of introduction to our enemy country that we're trying to take over, that you got the idea from this from a girl that you kidnapped from that country. Like, I, I don't know if I would send... I'm not the king, I guess. So he goes, he takes this letter, he takes his whole entourage, his horses, his chariots, 750 pounds of silver, and someone to carry it, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. He's clearly banking on being able to leverage his wealth and his important VIP status to get what he wants. And he shows up at the palace in Israel because he's rich and powerful. 
and the king of Israel is rich and powerful. So obviously anyone who could heal him would also be there where the rich and powerful people are. We're not going to go to some hut down the side of the road. So he shows up at the palace, and the king of Israel has a panic attack. He tears his clothes off, which clothes were in a hot commodity back then. Like 10 outfits that he brings with him, this is a huge deal. Like people might have like two outfits if you were lucky. He can't cure skin conditions. He's just the king of Israel. He's not God. So he like is so upset. This is like an international crisis. He thinks that the king of Aram is trying to pick a fight with him so that when Naaman goes home, he's like, well, I told him to heal me of leprosy and he didn't, so now we can invade them. He snubbed me. We can go have this tiny excuse to just invade this country. So the king of Israel is panicking. Elisha hears about this, swoops in and saves the day. Thank goodness. He's like, just send him to me. Stop freaking out. So Naaman is like, yes, I'm going to see the prophet. So he shows up at the prophet's house, and Elisha does not see him, refuses to come outside. In fact, sends a servant out to him and says, here's the message, go dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times, goodbye. And Naaman loses his mind. He is furious. Like, how dare you? He has traveled all this way. Elisha won't even see him. He brought all these gifts. Elisha won't even come out of the house. He won't even acknowledge him. Does not Elisha know how important he is? Naaman is not used to being treated like he is unimportant. And to make matters worse, the cure is to go dunk himself in the dirty, muddy Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is not a gorgeous, clear, delightful kayaking river like Wikiwachi Springs where you can see beautiful sand at the bottom and there's just like fishes and it's nice and cold. No, it's dirty and muddy and gross. And he's like, ugh, what, what a stupid instruction. Go dunk myself in the river seven times. If, if all I had to do was dunk myself in a river, I could have stayed home for that. The rivers in my town are much more fabulous than this stupid Israel river of this enemy country. I don't even know why I'm here. So he stomps off in a rage. And then some of his servants are like, well... Sir, <laughs> you might, you're like, you came all this way, like, maybe you should just try it. Like, if he had asked you to do something impossible, like go find some flour in the tallest mountain of Israel and then grind it into a powder and then smear it on your face and then jump around three times, like, you would do that, wouldn't you? All he said is, dunk yourself in the river. What's the harm in trying it? So Naaman's like, all right, well, that is a valid point. I guess I'll do it. So he does. Dunks himself seven times. That's what washes mean. It doesn't mean he's like literally taking a bath in the Jordan River. It just means he dunks himself. And miraculously, miraculously his skin gets healed completely, and he gets baby face again. No, that's not what it says. It says his skin became as healthy as that of a young child. But I think it's funnier to say baby face. <laughs> Naaman, the 40-year-old general, I'm guessing at how old he was, he had to be like, kind of old to be the general of the entire army, right? Not that 40 is kind of old. Don't write me, okay? Um, <laughs> Jared's almost 40. So he, he gets healed. Cool story. That was what I learned as a kid. I was like, yeah, it's so great. This girl like helped him. Naaman had faith. So great. He gets healed. Hunky-dory. Like, if we really stop and think about this, 
Naaman knows how prophets and gifts and power and privilege, he knows how this is supposed to work. It's not by bathing in a muddy stream. It's not by being snubbed by some prophet who refuses to see him or acknowledge him. It's not by his privilege and his power and his money not being recognized. And yet this is what happens in the story. Naaman is treated like he's ordinary, not rich, not powerful, not holding any cards, not as though healing him would somehow benefit the prophet or avert some kind of international crisis, nothing. He gets no status. He's treated like a regular person and he hates it. Naaman is the person here with all the cards, and yet his healing actually comes from people who are below him in status. The idea for the entire expedition was given to him by an enslaved girl who had been taken away from her home and her family and forced to work for the wife of the very person who commanded the army that burned her village down and kidnapped her. Like, certainly, we would not blame her for wanting him to live with this problem the rest of his life, right? Like, I wouldn't blame her for wanting to wish something much worse on him. But she's the one with all the wisdom and the grace and the gentleness. In the face of all the colossal wrongs done to her, she still chooses grace and mercy. Her heart is still soft enough to feel someone else's pain. Even a person who, especially to her, deserves zero grace and zero mercy, and clearly has a temper and shouldn't be allowed to rule anybody. And Naaman stomps off in this rage. He's throwing a tantrum because he wasn't greeted appropriately by Elisha. And it's his servants who give him the nudge. His servants who probably have to deal with his rages all the time, who can't be free of him. They never have hope of a different life. They're the ones with the wisdom, not Naaman, who has had all the education and the knowledge. He's the one who should be acting rightly, and he's not. And like, it puzzles us sometimes, maybe it even like agonizes us, I think, why God heals some people and not other people. Like here, Naaman is cleansed. He's a foreigner from a rival nation. There are people in Israel with the same problem who are not healed. What do we do with that? God chooses to heal this guy? <laughs> if I were God, thankfully I'm not, but if I were God, I would be like, definitely not. Write that guy off, red line. The point of this story is actually not specifically to heal Naaman, although he was specifically the one that was healed. Naaman is cleansed because God is demonstrating that there is a prophet in Israel that God is speaking and acting in Israel, that the, the significance of the Jordan River is not because it's any better than a river over there. It's because it's in Israel where God lives with God's people. And the point is that Naaman comes to recognize, if you keep reading, that Yahweh is the one true God. And he goes back to Syria worshiping this God, as opposed to all the other gods he had worshiped before. Although he does it secretly because he's kind of a chicken despite being general of the entire army. Like, I find that this passage has more questions than answers. So in true different church fashion, I'm just going to leave you with some questions and not give you the answers. You have to think about them for the rest of the week. So, like, do you think Naaman should have been healed? What do you think? 
he's an enemy of Israel. He returns to Aram worshiping Yahweh, but did he stop warring against Israel? Did he set the people he had enslaved free? Did he stop being a violent and rage-filled person? The text doesn't comment. doesn't tell us. It just says he went back home cleansed. How should we respond to the fact that it was an enslaved girl who acted with grace and mercy and kindness to a person who did not deserve that from her? The text doesn't comment. We're just left to think about it, to think about the ways in which passages like this have been used to push oppressed people and minorities into a corner and say, you have to react nicely when things are going wrong because of us. Like this, passages like this have been used in pretty harmful ways. What are we supposed to do with that? But also, maybe we need to look at ourselves. Because Naaman was cleansed and he didn't deserve it at all. He was the least deserving person. And what are the ways we have been cleansed where we didn't deserve it? What are the ways that God has spoken to us through the voice of someone else? Maybe someone that we've harmed gently and sweetly and softly and pushed us towards learning and growing and pushed us in a new direction and pushed us towards maybe not being the person that we used to be. And then God has cleansed our heart from something. What are those ways? Because it's really easy to be like, he didn't deserve it. Well, sometimes neither do we. Like I've been given grace plenty of times in my life when I didn't deserve it. Especially by God. But also by humans that I have hurt. And when someone says, I still care about you, I still want the best for you, I still, this is still meaningful in my life. Like just because you are being this way does not mean I can be this way because I serve a God of love and I serve a God of grace and boundaries are important. But you need to grow and I'm gonna show you what it looks like to love you when you're unlovable. So I just invite you to think about that this week. What do you think about Naaman? (laughs) What do you think about the girl? And where are the ways that we need to look inwards when we have been shown grace and we didn't deserve it? Let's pray. God, thank you for the privilege of gathering together. Thank you for the privilege of having a Bible that we can read and talk about and study even when we're wrestling with some of the words and we're wrestling with some of the themes. We're grateful that your presence follows us in our struggles. We're grateful that you do not shy away when we ask difficult questions of the text. We're grateful that you gave us a Bible that doesn't give all the answers so that we are forced to actively engage our faith. Keep us from rage. Keep us from stomping off when people don't treat us the way we think we ought to be treated. And give us the gentleness to be with others no matter how hard it is. 
and to be like you. Amen. <laughs>